This is episode 469 of the AWS podcast, released on August 29, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Sam Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. I'm flying solo for this particular episode. Nikki will be back next time. And a quick audio note, I'm recording from full lockdown without gear, so uh, it may be a little more agricultural than usual, but we'll uh, muddle on through. We have lots of updates for you this particular uh, update show, and so I'm going to move pretty rapidly through. As always, there are extended show notes linked in the show notes where you can get the links to everything we talk about on the podcast. So without further ado, let's talk about the AWS Marketplace. The AWS Marketplace has enhanced ISV self-service authorization of consulting partners. So now you can add custom product dimensions and specify end-user license agreements when authorizing your preferred consulting partners to resource software for AWS Marketplace buyers. This launch enables ISVs and consulting partners to work together more efficiently to create what's called a consulting partner private offer, or CPPO, which lets customers purchase software solutions in AWS Marketplace directly from their consulting partner. So this is often useful if you're actually wanting to deliver something at the same time as purchase something as well. Onto the topic of analytics, Redshift spatial performance enhancements and new spatial functions. So there is now spatial query performance enhancements, 3D, 4G geometries, and new spatial functions in Amazon Redshift to make things easier and faster. In fact, the uh, performance enhancements that have been implemented, you can significantly enhance geometry query throughput by up to 100x in some cases transparently and automatically, and they're my favorite ways to improve things. The performance enhancements also optimize and accelerate spatial queries with large table joins, and support for 3D and 4D geometries in spatial queries greatly expands the range of spatial use cases where you need to use those coordinates to accurately represent multi-dimensional data. There are also more than eight new spatial functions as well, so lots of new things if you're in the spatial zone. Happy to announce the general availability of Amazon Redshift cross-account data sharing. We spoke about this previously. It is now in GA. This allows you to share live, transactionally consistent data across different Redshift clusters without the complexity and delays associated with making copies and moving the data around. With data sharing, you can securely share data at many levels, including schemas, tables, views, and user-defined functions, and use fine-grained controls to specify access for each data consumer. Amazon Redshift extends automatic table optimization to support column compression encoding. So what this does is maintains the optimal compression encodings in Amazon Redshift database tables on an ongoing basis to give you high performance and reduce storage utilization. By using this automation to manage your column compression, customers can ensure that column compression encodings are always optimized in order to get the best possible performance. So that is a good thing. Amazon Redshift has also simplified the use of the JDBC ODBC interface with authentication profile. So this lets you centrally store client-side properties required to connect to Redshift data warehouses using JDBC ODBC and Python drivers. So this makes it much easier to share it with others. And Amazon Redshift Data API now has support for multi-statement query execution and parameters. So this is a nice, easy way to get access to your Amazon Redshift data from all types of traditional cloud native and containerized serverless web-based applications and event-driven applications as well. We're happy to introduce the Optimized Spark 3.1 runtime for data integration with AWS Glue 3.0. This gives you a performance-optimized runtime that optimizes both read and write access to the simple storage service using faster vectorized readers. 
and Amazon S3 optimized output committers so you get better performance. Whole bunch of updates for AWS Glue Data Brew. It now supports numerical format transformations. So this includes setting decimal precision, customizing thousand separators, abbreviating large values, lots of cool stuff there. It also now supports writing prepared data into AWS Lake Formation based AWS Glue Data Catalog S3 tables, and also writing prepared data into Tableau Hyperformat as well. So if you use that particular format, you can take advantage of that. There is also now support for logical conditions as transformations. So you can use if, and, or, and case, our old friends, to create transformations based on functions. And customers have the flexibility to use custom values or reference other columns within the expressions. And you can create adaptable transformations for your specific use case. Updates for Amazon EMR and now allows you to easily identify the latest releases that have the applications that you need. So previously, if you're looking to launch your Amazon EMR cluster in new regions or the latest version of application, you have to read the release notes, you know, <laughs> reading the, uh, the the documentation. Don't we do that very well as uh, software people? Um, the new API parameters now allow you to programmatically identify this information, enabling you to automate your cluster launch workflows, which is pretty neat. And Amazon EMR now supports Amazon S3 access points, which lets you simplify access control. Using your S3 access point alias, you can simplify your data access at scale on Amazon EMR. An update for Athena. You can now write query results in Parquet, Avro, Orc, and JSON file formats to make sure you're using the formats for your results that best fit your analytics use case. So this is the new unload statement. You can format results in your choice of those formats, including, as I mentioned, Parquet, Avro, Orc, JSON, or delimited text, gets you through the day sometimes. And Athena's SQL-based interface and support for open formats are well-suited for creating ETL pipelines and to get stuff done, it is actually my go-to tool at the moment when it comes to any data analytics work. AWS Data Streaming Solution for Amazon MSK adds support for AWS IAM to streamline access control management. So this is a recently updated solution for the streaming data uh, into the MSK clusters and it makes it easy to maintain the security control over that. Managed entitlements are now available for AWS Data Exchange products in AWS License Manager. So you can now track and manage your organization's entitlements to data exchange products using the License Manager. This means that subscribers can now manage and distribute licenses using individual account IDs or organization IDs, which entitles other accounts within the AWS organization to access data procured via the AWS Data Exchange. Onto the topic of application integration. AWS AppSync now supports custom authorization with AWS Lambda for GraphQL APIs. And this is a flexible and simple way to get some custom authorization logic into your particular application. Now, AWS AppSync is a managed GraphQL service that simplifies app development and lets you create a flexible API to securely access, manipulate, and combine data from one or more sources with less network calls. With AWS AppSync, you create a GraphQL API that lets your applications interact over the internet. And while the API endpoints are publicly reachable, they never allow unauthorized access. So a method of authorization, which is a token in a request header or signing the request itself with AWS credentials, is always required. Now, in the past, you had the choice of API keys, Amazon Cognito user pools, OpenID Connect, or IAM. Now we're adding a new authorization mode based on AWS Lambda for use cases that have specific requirements not entirely covered by the existing authorization modes. So basically, you can implement custom authorization strategies of your own requirement. Update for Amazon MQ, it now supports a RabbitMQ 3.8.17, bug fixes, enhancements, that's the latest one. 
Moving on to the topic of business applications, Amazon Chime SDK Meetings now supports live transcription with Amazon Transcribe and Amazon Transcribe Medical. So this SDK lets developers add real-time audio, video, and screen share to your web and mobile applications. And now you can automatically overlay subtitles, build a scrap, transcript, or perform real-time content analysis with live audio transcription powered by Transcribe and Transcribe Medical, which we've spoken about previously. So this makes it easy to integrate and get up and running fast. Moving on to the topic of compute and a whole lot of updates there, Amazon EC2 Hibernation adds support for C5D, M5D, and R5D instances. So a reminder, Hibernation allows you to pause your EC2 instances and resume them at a later time, which is different from fully terminating and restarting. And resuming means you continue where you left off, so you don't have to restart your OS application from scratch. Really useful when you're rebuilding application state in a time-consuming situation. EC2 VM Import Export now supports migration of virtual machines with Unified Extensible Firmware Interface or UEFI boot to AWS. So now you can get access to that. The UEFI is a modern firmware that initializes your operating system, often uh, was problematic when doing imports, etc. It is now not. There's a new instance type, Amazon EC2 M6i instances. These are now generally available, and they are the sixth generation EC2 instance portfolio to include the x86-based compute options. These are designed for a balance of compute, memory, storage, and network, and they are built, of course, on the AWS Nitro system. Now, this provides an even better option than before. The M6i instances are powered by third-generation Intel Xeon scalable processors, which are codenamed Ice Lake with an all-core turbo frequency of 3.5 gigahertz, which give 15% better compute price performance over M5 instances and always on memory encryption using Intel Total Memory Encryption, TME. These instances are SAP certified and are ideal for workloads such as web, application servers, backend servers, etc. A really great capability. We've also increased some uh, new instance sizes. There is now the M6i32X large, 128 vCPUs, 512 gigabytes of memory, 33% more than the largest M5 instances. And they also provide up to 20% higher memory bandwidth per vCPU compared to M5.6 instances. You also get 50 gig of networking speed and 40 gig of bandwidth to EBS, twice that of M5 instances. You can also use the EFA, Elastic Fabric Adapter, on the 32X size as well. So get into that one if you're using this particular category. I think it will give you lots of benefits. AWS Lambda now adds support for Python 3.9. So you can use that out of the box and use its new features, including support for TLS 1.3, new string and dictionary operations, improved time zone support. Goodness knows that's always fun and games to deal with that. And it also includes performance optimizations you can get without making any code changes, which is always my favorite kind of performance optimization. Amazon EC2 INF1 or INF1 instances now support TensorFlow 2. Uh, AWS Neuron, the SDK for running machine learning inference on inferential-based EC2 Inf1 instances, now supports TensorFlow 2. So starting with Neuron 1.15.0, you can execute your TensorFlow 2 BERT-based models on Inf1 instances with support for additional models coming soon. Amazon EC2 Autoscaling has enhanced instance refresh with configuration checks, launch template validation, and Amazon Event Bridge notification. So this allows you to perform updates to your autoscaling group configuration, as well as the ability to skip replacing already updated instances during an instance refresh. The whole idea here is to make it easier to deploy changes to your AMIs or to install additional software in a controlled manner. 
To help you further deploy updates on auto-scaling instances, we also have four new instance refresh-based event notifications available through Amazon EventBridge. You can now update based on different capabilities so that you can perform faster roll forwards, roll backs, understand completion, and also understand when things have succeeded, failed, or cancelled. Amazon EC2 Autoscaling now lets you control which instances to terminate on scale in. So previously you could use one of the predefined termination policies, so oldest launch template, for example. Now you can provide a custom lambda that indicates which instances are safe to terminate on scale in. This is useful if you've got stateful applications and want to have fine-grained control over which instances get turned off and when. Amazon EKS, the Elastic Kubernetes service, now supports the Maltus Container Networking Interface plugin. This enables pods running in EKS clusters to attach multiple network interfaces for support of advanced network configurations. There is some new EC2 G4AD instance sizes. These uh, deliver up to 40% better price performance over comparable GPU-based instances for graphics-intensive applications, such as virtual workstations and game streaming, etc. These are powered by the AMD Radeon Pro V520 GPUs and second-generation AMD Epic processors. And the new sizes are the G4 AD X-Large, which is new, uh, one GPU, four CPUs, 16 gig of memory, and the G4 AD 2X Large, one GPU, eight CPUs, and 32 gig of memory. AWS Batch List Jobs Filtering has enhancements to it. Now, the AWS Batch is a cloud-native batch scheduler that enables anyone, enterprises, scientists, developers, even me, uh, effectively and efficiently run batch jobs on AWS. So the latest update introduces new filtering enhancements on the List Jobs API so that you can get a better view of what's going on and have a better control. And finally on this topic, AWS Elastic Beanstalk supports capacity rebalancing for Amazon EC2 spot instances. This reduces spot instance interruptions to your applications when enabled. Autoscaling group capacity rebalancing is designed to automatically attempt to replace spot instances in an autoscaling group before they are interrupted. Moving on to the topic of cost management, AWS Cost Categories introduces split charge rules for allocation of shared costs. So you can now split your shared costs within your AWS Cost Categories by defining these new rules. AWS Cost Categories enable you to group your cost and usage information into meaningful categories based on dimensions such as accounts, tags, services, charge types, and even other cost categories. Every organization has a set of costs that are shared by multiple teams or business units or financial owners. For example, data transfer costs, enterprise support, operational costs, what have you. And these can't be directly attributable to a single owner, but now with split charge rules, you can now equitably allocate these costs across your cost values. Very, very cool. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Connect now provides an improved chatbot building experience, which is powered by the Amazon Alex V2 console and APIs, which we spoke about a little while ago, makes it much easier to build and get up and running. Contact Lens for Amazon Connect can now categorize contacts with contact attributes and integrates with tasks and event bridge. So contact center supervisors can now use rules in Amazon Connect to categorize contacts with more granularity, and you can create a task to further investigate customer experience issues and follow-ups or configure rules to automatically generate an event bridge event. All of this helps create a better 
customer experience when interacting with your contact center. Related to this, agents can now set their next status while still on an active contact in Amazon Connect. So this means they can do a seamless transition from work to offline or lunch. Lunch is important. So if you want to indicate that you're about to take lunch, uh, you can indicate that as soon as you're off this call, you get to go to lunch and you don't get a call routed to you. And Amazon Connect CTI adapter for Salesforce now adds out-of-the-box chat user interface support for Salesforce Experience Cloud. So this allows you to embed the Amazon Connect out-of-the-box chat widget within the Salesforce Experience Cloud, which is formerly called Community Cloud. And this enables customers using the Salesforce Experience Cloud to interact with Amazon Connect agents directly. For example, if a customer is requesting help from the IT support website hosted in the Help Center in Experience Cloud and starts a chat, this can then have an end-to-end -end experience into the contact center. Pretty nifty. Onto the topic of databases. We're pleased to announce Amazon MemoryDB for Redis. This is a new Redis-compatible, durable, in-memory database service that gives you ultra-fast performance. Purpose-built for modern applications with microservices architecture. It is compatible with Redis, which is a popular open source data store, and it means you can quickly build applications using the same flexible and friendly Redis data structures. You can easily create and scale your Amazon memory DB cluster to up to 500 nodes, storing up to 100 terabytes of data in memory. It's highly available, supports replication across multiple AZs. It's also secure with support for VPC, encryption at rest with KMS, encryption in transit, and authentication and authorization using Redis Access Control Lists or ACLs. It's also fully managed, so you don't need to do any of the provisioning, the patching, the setup, the configuration, the backups, and the usual no upfront commitments or fees to use it. A few quick updates to different databases. Amazon Aurora supports Postgres versions 9, 6, 22, 10, 17, 11, 12, and 12.7. Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL also now supports the Oracle FDW extension, which allows your PostgreSQL database to connect to and retrieve data stored in Oracle databases. Amazon Elasticash for Redis now supports auto-scaling, so you can now automatically adjust capacity to maintain steady, predictable performance at the lowest possible cost. So you can automatically scale your cluster horizontally by adding or removing shards or replica nodes, and it makes it easy to get up and running with policies. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports automatic minor version updates. So this enables you to activate this particular feature and have it automatically updated when a new minor database engine version is available. Amazon RDS Proxy can now be created in a shared virtual private cloud or VPC, which makes it easy to create endpoints to provide to multiple teams. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports two new parameter changes for full text search, max full text crawl range and transform noise words. Always well, good to transform your noise words. Um, more options for users of SQL Server. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle Time Zone File Order Upgrade. So the Oracle Time Zone File Order Upgrade feature provides an automated way to upgrade the DST Time Zone File version in the database instance. And time zones are always fun, so this will make life a little easier. The Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator DAX SDK for Java 2.x is now available. You can build Java applications with accelerated access to DynamoDB and benefit from non-blocking IO and other cool features in the latest SDK. Amazon Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra now automatically optimizes client connections made through AWS Private Link to improve availability and read-write throughput. So this means it performs better and more efficiently, and again, always a good thing. Some updates for Amazon Neptune. 
It now supports the Open Cipher query language. This is a popular query language for building applications with graph databases. So you can now use Open Cipher with Amazon Neptune, which gives you more choices to use. It's also compatible with existing property graphs, and developers can use both Apache Tinkerpop Gremlin and Open Cipher queries within the same graph. It also, uh, Amazon Neptune, I should say, also announced the support for Sparkle 1.1 Graph Store HTTP protocol. And Amazon Neptune ML is now generally available with support for edge predictions, automation, and more. Now, this is a machine learning capability for graphs that uses graph neural networks, or GNNs, and is now generally available for all regions where Amazon Neptune is available. Using the Deep Graph Library, which is an open source library to which uh, AWS contributes, Neptune ML automates the heavy lifting of selecting and training the best ML model for graph data. You can improve the accuracy of most predictions for graphs by over 50% compared to when using non-graph methods. On to the topic of developer tools. Amazon CodeGuru Profiler has extended visualization capability with a new compare option for application profiles. So being able to see things makes things easier. The new compare option allows you to view differences between two different time ranges of the same profiling group, which helps you diagnose issues in your application for a specific time range of profiling data and can be used for performance improvements. Amazon CodeGuru Profiler has also added recommendation support for Python applications. So now in addition to the existing Java recommendation, Amazon CodeGuru Profiler is extending support for Python and it can tell you what you can do better and it sounds like I need to run some of my Python code through that. CodeBuild, AWS CodeBuild now supports publicly viewable build results. So you can make your build logs and artifact publicly accessible to people who are not logged into the AWS console. This is really useful for collaboration with open source contributors and projects. So you don't have to have access to the particular code build repository to get the status updates. Amazon CodeGuru Profiler also now has new automated onboarding processes for AWS Lambda functions. So it makes it easy for you to get up and running very, very quickly. You can simply set it up using the new automated onboard processing from the console and get up and running fast. AWS Cloud9 introduces new features to browse CloudWatch logs, S3, and to use EC2 instance profiles. So this allows you to get up and running quickly in your development environment and look at things without having to leave your IDE. And also Cloud9 users using multi-factor authentication and private VPCs can automatically authenticate via EC2 instance metadata and environment variable credential sources as well. We're happy to announce the CDK Pipelines GA and CICD for CDK apps. So CDK Pipelines is a construct library for the AWS CDK Cloud Development Kit. It makes it easy to set up a simple or complex continuous delivery pipelines with AWS Code Pipelines. So now you can define and share pipelines as code patterns for deploying your applications, which means it's easy to get up and running as a baseline and make improvements. And AWS CDK has also released versions 1.111.0 to 1.1116 with updates for unit testing and, of course, support for those pipelines. We're also happy to introduce AWS App Runner integration into the AWS Toolkit for VS Code. So this provides you with convenient IDE functionality to create and manage deployments from your code or image repositories using AWS App Runner. Now, just a reminder, AWS AppRunner is a fully managed service that makes it easy for customers without prior containers or infrastructure experience to build, deploy, and run containerized web applications and APIs in just a few clicks. And finally, on this topic, AWS Copilot now supports custom domain names for AppRunner services and other enhancements. It all ties together. This makes it easy to get up and running and connecting quickly. 
On to the topic of end-user computing. Amazon Workspaces renews Windows desktop experience with Windows Server 2019 bundles and 64-bit Office 2019. So now you get the Windows 10 experience along with the 64-bit Microsoft Office 2019 Professional Plus bundle experience as well. And Workspaces has announced the availability of quota information through service quotas. So you can see where your quotas are at for that particular service. And Amazon Workspaces also now offers web access with Workspaces Streaming Protocol, WSP. And this is a cloud-native streaming protocol that lets you have a consistent user experience accessing it across global distances and unreliable networks. Super important in these days of working from home. This means you can stay up and running and getting stuff done. And finally, Amazon Workspaces has added support for USB YubiKey Universal Second Factor U2F authentication on PCOIP Windows Workspaces. So now you can use that particular authentication approach across that particular protocol. On to the topic of game tech, quick update. Amazon GameLift has now announced general availability of game server hosting and multiplayer services in the Adibus China Ningxia region operated by NWCD. On to the topic of the Internet of Things. There is a new release of the AWS IT Service SDK for Embedded C, which makes it easier to authenticate and provision your IT devices. The AWS IT Core credential providers now support security tokens that are valid up to 12 hours. So this gives you more flexibility compared to the previous limit, which was one hour. And AWS IT SiteWise Edge is now generally available. This is a feature of AWS IT SiteWise that makes it easy for industrial customers to collect, organize, process, and monitor your equipment data on-premises, i.e. at the edge. And this allows you to get easy visibility into what's going on and then send it back for processing on the cloud for large-scale interrogation. We're also pleased to announce support for exporting data from AWS IT SiteWise to Amazon S3. Uh, you can opt in to export your data to S3 from the AWS IoT SiteWise console. And once you opt in, all you need to do is provide the URL of the bucket and away you go. It will export your data for your measurements, metrics, and transforms periodically. It will automatically synchronize any changes to your asset and asset model definitions with the data exported to S3. So your data in S3 reflects the most updated asset structure and hierarchy. Another quick update, uh, announcing support for join operations in AWS IoT Analytics data stores. So you can now use the join operator while authoring your SQL query. Kind of important to be able to join data together. You can use inner join, left, right, full outer join, self join, and cross join as well. And finally, free RTOS 2021-07 includes SNTP library for time information on IoT applications. So this makes it easy for you to add time information into your application. This uses the SNTP client library named Core SNTP to synchronize clocks between a device and the cloud. On to the topic of machine learning. Happy to announce Amazon forecast weather index for Asia Pacific. So weather index is important because weather affects so many things when we're making decisions. And now you can get additional forecasting for the Asia Pacific region for up to 14 days to fit into forecast. Amazon SageMaker is introducing asynchronous inference, which is a new inference option for workloads with very large payload sizes and long inference processing times. So this is ideal for inferences with large payload sizes up to one gig or up to 15 minutes of processing time. Now, asynchronous inference enables you to save costs by autoscaling the instance count to zero when there are no requests to process, so you only pay for when you're actually processing stuff. So real-time inference is useful when your payload's up to six meg. If you're going beyond that, you should look at this new particular option. 
Amazon SageMaker Notebook instances now support Amazon Linux 2. So you can now choose Amazon Linux 2 for your SageMaker Notebook instance to get advantages from the latest update and support from that particular OS. And Amazon SageMaker has introduced one-click model inference and fine-tuning for hugging face models in the SageMaker Jumpstart. And I'm going to resist making any references to the Aliens movie on that one. Amazon SageMaker now supports M5D, R5, and P3DN, and G4DN instances for notebook instances, so you get more options in terms of what you're running your particular notebooks on. This is great because it can take advantage of different elements of the different types. You can have a general purpose type, which is the M. You could take advantage of the GPUs that are on the G uh, family. You could take advantage of the, the P family that are really useful for distributed machine learning and HPC. Others that have SSD, really you could choose the right fit for your use case. Amazon SageMaker Pipelines now supports invoking AWS Lambda functions. So it's a thing called a Lambda step and it allows customers to directly invoke a Lambda function as a step in the ML bot model building pipeline. This is great for doing things like splitting data sets, sending custom notifications. Basically, if it can finish within 10 minutes, you're good to go. Also for Amazon SageMaker, there is a new pipeline integration with some popular third-party tools. So it is now integrated with code repositories such as GitHub and Bitbucket and software development automation tool Jenkins as well. So as you're building out your pipeline, you can integrate with those third-party concepts. An update for Amazon SageMaker Data Wrangler, and it's going to be hard for me to say it, but I'm going to give it a try. You can now detect multicollinearity and easily export results in a few clicks. You can probably detect it easier than I can say. Now, multicollinearity occurs when two or more features in a data set are highly correlated with one another. Uh, and detecting the presence of this in a data set is important because it can hinder the performance of an ML model. So this will let you find it quickly and faster than I can say it, put it that way. AWS DeepBracer console now has a fully customizable action space. So it is now fully customizable. You can get up and running and you can uh, now modify things in a whole lot of different ways to improve your model's performance. And you can now specify both provided actions and add actions of your own to push your model performance to the limits. Update for Amazon Comprehend. You can now train custom entity recognition models with fewer training documents. Now, what this does is basically allow you to extend the capability of Amazon Comprehend, which already can recognize a whole bunch of things because you can identify new entity types not supported by one of the preset generic entity types. So this means in addition to the built-in stuff, you can create custom things as well. Now, starting today, we have reduced the minimum required training documents by 50%. So this means you can create and train custom models with as few as 100 annotations per entity type from 250 documents. Now, if you have more training documents, you get better results, but this means you can get started even easier. Update for Amazon recognition video in segment detection now supports four new segment types and improves accuracy. Now, video segment detection makes it easier to sort of detect things like silent black frames, end credits, color bars, shot changes, etc. Now, customers can detect four additional segment types, opening credits, content segments, slates, and studio logos. Amazon Recognition Custom Labels now makes it easy for customers to learn how to train machine learning models by giving you tutorial videos and sample data sets. So if you want to get up and running, there's a little more guidance available to you. Amazon Personalize now enables you to optimize personalized recommendations for a business metric of your choice. 
in addition to improving relevance of recommendations for your users. So you can define a business metric such as revenue, profit margin, video watch time, or pretty much any other numerical attribute of your item catalog to optimize your recommendation. Amazon Personalized will automatically learn what's relevant to your users and also consider the business metric that you've defined and make a combination recommendation. We're happy to announce Amazon Transcribe Call Analytics API for conversational insights. This allows businesses to improve their customer experience and agent productivity. So using the Transcribe Call Analytics API, you can analyze call recordings to get turn-by-turn call transcripts and actionable insights. So you can find customer agent interactions, trending issues, track performance metrics, et cetera, all in near real time. AWS ML Ops Framework Solution now supports the Amazon SageMaker Model Registry and AWS Organization's Delegated Administrator Account to improve model management and governance. So this is a solution that really streamlines pipeline deployment and enforces architectural best practices. It is giving you even more choices and options now. Amazon Textract, which is a machine learning service that extracts text and structured data from any document or image, now offers specialized support for invoices and receipts. Now, in the past, these can often be tricky because depending on who you get your receipt from, it looks differently. Now, it is able to do things like identify the vendor name, enable consolidation of output from many documents, uh, extract line item details even when the column headers are missing. It's pretty cool. And final update in this category, Amazon Lex announces support for UK postal code built-in slot types. So if you're in the UK region, this will be relevant to you. Moving on to the topic of management and governance. AWS Systems Manager Fleet Manager now offers report generation for managed instances. AWS Systems Manager Change Manager now supports AWS IAM roles as approvers. And you can now enable auto approval of change requests and expedite changes with AWS Systems Manager Change Manager as well. So you can auto approve the changes so that you can quickly get through things but you can also restrict individual users groups or AWS identity and access manager roles for submitting auto approval requests to maintain more control. So this helps you balance the speed versus correctness uh, balance that we were always working on. Amazon CloudWatch Logs now supports usage metrics. So you can now create alarms to be notified when you're approaching a particular service quota and visualize your usage on CloudWatch dashboards. We're also pleased to announce Amazon CloudWatch cross account alarms. This is a new feature that lets you set alerts to take actions based on changes to metrics in other AWS accounts. Cross-account alarm provides alerting based on trends in metrics in different accounts and can be used in combination with existing cross-account dashboards to set up operational visibility in a centralized monitoring account. So you can be alerted when a trending metric in a different AWS account indicates that further investigation is required before the trend starts to cause any operational impact or customer issues. Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics now supports visual monitoring. So you can now monitor your REST APIs, URLs, and website contents by running scripts 24-7. And the new visual monitoring feature makes it possible to catch visual defects that can't be scripted. Uh, so this lets you see things from a visual discrepancy perspective versus a output or text perspective. And this is powered by the ImageMagic open source software kit. Amazon CloudWatch has added support for trimmed mean statistics. With trimmed mean statistics, you get visibility on the average performance of a metric without the noise of outliers. Trends in average performance represented by the trimmed mean can be visualized on dashboards or used to set thresholds or alarms as well. AWS Systems Manager OpsCenter has launched operational insights to identify duplicate items and event sources with unusual activities. 
So this allows you to track and resolve issues related to AWS resources in a central place and makes it easier to find any issues or problems. We're happy to introduce 79 new resource types into the CloudFormation registry. And no, I won't read them all to you. Um, but basically, you can now centrally discover the schema associated with these 79 new resource types in the registry. And this lets you get up and running very, very quickly and allow you to automate a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. And speaking of CloudFormation, you can now import your AWS CloudFormation stacks into a CloudFormation stack set. Now, stack sets extend the functionality of stacks, letting you create, update, or delete stacks across multiple accounts and regions in a single operation. You can now bring your existing CloudFormation stack into the management purview of a new or an existing stack set to easily create resources, applications, or environments in other AWS accounts or AWS regions. So this avoids the manual replication process. AWS License Manager now supports Delegated Administrator. So this is a feature that allows license administrators to manage and distribute licenses across all the AWS accounts from a delegated account other than the central paid account. Using Delegated Administrator, you can discover licenses running across all accounts and track them centrally. And it gives you the flexibility to separate license management from the billing activities. AWS Config now supports AWS Backup Services. So now you can make sure that AWS Config is monitoring the correctness of that particular service. AWS Control Tower has announced improvements to guardrail naming and descriptions. And it has been revised to better reflect the guardrail policy intention. The revised names and descriptions will help you more intuitively understand how it enhances control for your account. For example, names of detective guardrails were modified from disallow to detect, since the detective guardrail itself does not enforce a specific action, but detects policy violations and provides alert through the dashboard. AWS Control Tower also now supports KMS encryption as well. So you now have the option to use a single customer provided KMS key to secure your AWS Control Tower deployed services, things like AWS CloudTrail, AWS Config, and the associated AWS S3 data. AWS Service Catalog can announce improvements to the Getting Started Library. So this simplifies discovering best practice templates and gives you better guidance as an administrator as to how to use it and when to use it. There are more than 250 AWS best practice solutions there, so you're likely to find what you need. AWS CloudTrail now supports logging of data events for EBS Direct APIs. So now you can get things like list snapshot blocks, list change blocks, get snapshot blocks, put snapshot blocks, API, etc., and you can understand what happened and when and by whom. Moving on to the topic of media services, Amazon Interactive Video Service has added SDK for live broadcasting from iOS and Android devices. So this allows you to integrate this SDK into new and existing mobile applications. It supports basic camera and screen broadcasts and custom video and audio sources. It's optimized for low latency live streams with Amazon IVS. The mobile broadcast also handles inconsistent bandwidth situations by automatically adjusting video bit rates. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer. The AWS transfer family has extended compatibility for FTPS and FTP clients and increases the limit for the number of servers. So uh, now you can support a client-side externally accessible IP address for your FTPS, FTP server, which means if you've got clients behind a NAT or a firewall, they can get to the server. Also, customers can easily scale your workloads by creating up to 50 servers within the AWS transfer family in a single account, which is five times the limit that you had in the past. 
AWS Snowball Edge Storage Optimized Devices now support high-performance NFS data transfer. So you can now transfer up to 80 terabytes of data onto Snowball Edge Storage Optimized Devices through both the file and object interfaces. The file interface exposes an NFS mount point for each bucket on your AWS Snowball Edge Optimized Device. And after mounting the file share, you can drag and drop files to your heart contents. Now, prior to this launch, data transfer was typically between 25 meg per second to 40 meg per second. Uh, and for faster things, you had to use an S3 adapter to get up to sort of 250 to 400 meg a second. With the high-performing NFS data transfer capability, you now get similar transfer speeds as the S3 adapter that we had before. And AWS Snowball now supports multicast streams and routing by providing instances with direct access to external networks. And by providing instances with a layer two network access without any intermediate translation or filtering, you get more flexibility over your network configuration and better performance as well, which helps with new and different use cases. Onto the topic of mobile, Amazon API Gateway now supports mutual TLS with certificates from third-party CAs and ACM private CA. AWS Amplify Hosting has announced support for Next.js version 11. And we're happy to announce in a developer preview, Amplify Geo for AWS Amplify. This enables developers to quickly add location-aware features to their front-end web and mobile applications. And it includes a set of abstracted client libraries built on top of the Amazon Location Service, pre-integrated map UI components based on the popular MapLibre open source library, and it updates the Amplify command line interface tool with support for provisioning all the required cloud location services. And finally, AWS Amplify now supports sign-in with Apple, which is useful to supplement the current providers of Google, Facebook, and Amazon. Onto the topic of network and content delivering, Amazon Route 53 announces Route 53 Application Recovery Controller. This is a new capability in Route 53, which makes it easy for you to continuously monitor your application's ability to recover from failure and control your recovery across regions, availability zones, and on-premises infrastructure. Basically, it eliminates the manual steps typically required when using traditional tools and processes to manage the recovery. It helps you recover from failures almost immediately, which is a requirement for many applications like real-time payment processing or trading engines, etc. Lots of cool detail there. And final update on this topic, the Amazon VPC CNI plugin has increased the pods per node limits so you can achieve higher pod density using a new VPC capability that enables IP address prefixes to be attached to EC2 instances. Onto the topic of security, identity, and compliance, IAM Access Analyzer helps you generate IAM policies based on access activities found in your organization trails. So this is a pretty cool capability to see what people are doing and create policies based on that. The AWS Security Hub has added a number of new things. It has added a total of 28 new controls to its foundation security best practices standard for different things, and also eight new partners for enhanced security posture monitoring. I'm not going to go through them all, but if you're not using AWS Security Hub, you're missing out. It gives you a great view of what's going on in your environment. And AWS WAF now offers managed rule group versioning. So you can now have the ability to test new rule updates safely and roll back to previously tested versions. So this makes life a lot easier. Onto the topic of storage, we're happy to announce S3 Transfer Manager preview release in the AWS SDK for Java 2.x. You can now perform high throughput uploads and downloads of objects to and from Amazon S3 and get much better performance than ever before. 
Amazon S3 on Outpost now supports sharing across multiple accounts. It also now supports two larger storage tiers, 240 terabytes and 380 terabytes, which comes in combination with the previous options of 26, 48 and 96 terabytes. And Amazon S3 on Outposts support direct access for applications running outside of the Amazon Outpost VPC. So this gives you access to S3 objects from your on-premises network through the Outpost local gateway. With direct access, basically applications outside of the VPC can now directly access data stored in those buckets. AWS Storage Gateway now supports QuestNet Vault Backup 13 on tape gateway. Amazon Elastic Block Store now supports idempotent volume creation. So you can now safely retry your volume creation without any additional side effects. And this is really useful if you've got automation and scripting. Um, idempotence is a very important API thing. And Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager now supports CloudWatch metrics so you can get even more insights into what's going on there. And our final topic today is the topic of solutions. There is a new AWS Solutions implementation, the AWS Innovation Sandbox. Now, this provisions isolated self-contained environments to help developers, security professionals, and infrastructure teams to securely evaluate, explore, and build proof of concepts using AWS services and third-party applications that run on AWS. Now, the Sandbox environment implements security controls to manage access and permissions through a browser-based Amazon AppStream 2.0 connection. So you minimize the risk of data exfiltration from the user's network environment. It is very cool. You've got things like account isolation, secure guardrails, detective controls, data movement restrictions. If you need to provide these types of environments, this is something you should look at. Well, that was a whole bunch of updates. I think we can agree. And I appreciate you for listening through. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.